We are in the book of Zechariah as we teach our way through the scriptures. Um, But this morning I'm going to jump ahead to chapter 12. On Wednesday we'll go back and do a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of Zechariah. Um, But what one of the major birth, what I call a birth pain, uh, we find here in Zechariah chapter 12, where Paul was reading for us earlier. So with that much of an intro, let's dive right into um, Zechariah 12, verses 1 through 3. The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. Thus says the Lord, who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. Right there are three Bible studies. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples, all who would heave it away with will surely be cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. What we have is um, sort of a progression concerning Jerusalem. It's acknowledging, first of all, the greatness of our Creator that not only stretches out the heavens, which is a scientific fact, by the way, um, the universe has expanded quite a bit since you were here last Sunday. It's still being stretched out. Um, he laid the foundation of the earth. I mentioned last week that the earth was actually created on the first day. And the sun and the moon and the stars and the galaxies, not till day three. And so before there was the sun and the moon, there was planet earth. The second day is when he divided the waters and the land. And they, again, then the most interesting and the, the creation of the human spirit. Um, we're obsessed with the flesh, like Solomon said to Jesse when he rejected uh, Jesse's first son. Evidently, he was tall, dark, and handsome. And um, the prophet was sure that the next king of Israel was standing in front of him. And he said, no, 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 no. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so he was rejected and David was accepted because David was a man after his own heart. It's always a matter of the heart. And we find here that God creates, and when he breathed into Adam, he breathed into him life-giving spirit, and he became a living being. So we're mostly spirit and soul, which is eternal, And this stuff here that hangs on our bones is temporal. And I find verse 1 very interesting because each spirit is an individual spirit with its own uniqueness, its own personality. Uh, Just like every person's face, it always blows my mind that we have, what, closer to um, 7 or 8 billion people on the planet now. And with this much space to work with, from here to here and here to here, you all look different. And uh, not only that, but your personality and your temperament, that's all different too. So the uniqueness of you in, in forming the spirit of man 
uh, in its uniqueness. But then he goes on to describe, I will make Jerusalem a cup. In other words, hasn't happened yet. But there's coming a time when the world will be obsessed with the city of Jerusalem. And it's going to become a problem to the world. And it will escalate eventually with the nations of the world gathering to fight against it. Now, I'm tempted because it's a second service, but I know how, much, how long I went in the first service, so I'm not going to do this. But if you would follow the rest of this chapter, it actually talks about the time that Jesus Christ comes, where he will return to, and the shock of many of the Jewish people when they realize that Jesus really was their Messiah. And they will mourn for him when they realize it was Jesus of Nazareth who was their Messiah all this time. It'll blow them away to such a capacity that the rest of the chapter deals with with it will be a time of great mourning. Verse 10, where he'll pour on on, uh, the house of David, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look on him who they have pierced. They will mourn for him as one for his only son and grieve for one as grieves at his firstborn. And the rest of the chapter is everybody wants to be alone. They want to mourn alone. They, got to, they want to digest that the very one that they looked for their whole life, they pray for the becoming of the Messiah is the one that they pierced. And it's going to be so overwhelming that they have to find their own places. The families don't mourn together. They, they want to get away. Like verse 14, all the families that remain, every family by itself, and their wives by themselves. So as Zechariah was prophesying, let's, let me give you the time frame here. During the time of the rebuilding of the temple, after their 70 years in captivity, Jeremiah said, you guys are going into captivity, you're going to be there for 70 years, then you're going to return. Zechariah is prophesying now that they're back. He's there to encourage them, because they're discouraged, uh, to rebuild the temple. So as you look at Zechariah, that's the setting. They're back in Jerusalem. A reoccurring theme that we see as we study the Old Testament, which will be ending very, very shortly, because after Zechariah, we have Uh, Malachi, and then we start with Matthew, who will be in uh, the New Testament. So as we have these last two prophetic books, we've discovered um, sort of a theme, and that is one primarily that God has a kingdom that's going to be established, and it's going to remain, it was promised to David, uh, for a thousand years, that's Revelation chapter 20. And it's always at the end of the chapter because most of the prophets are in the face of the people because of their continuing sin and worshiping idols and doing things worse than the people, the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Jebusites and the Philistines and the people that were in the land. Israel had gotten to the point where they were doing things worse 
than them. And so God would raise up a prophet and warn them. Uh, They usually would not listen. Jeremiah definitely was in the minority. He says, either turn from your sin or you're going into captivity. Who listened? No one, because nobody wanted to hear it. Who did they listen to? The false prophets. Why? Because they told the people what they wanted to hear. Now, if you've been here for any length of time at all, you can't teach through the Bible and hear things that you don't want to hear about yourself. For instance, in you dwells no good thing. Well, there's got to be something good somewhere. Oh, all your righteousness is as filthy rags. Well, that offends me personally. There must be something good present I gave this year that somebody's happy about. No, your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? Our flesh is so tricky. Well, my friend Tom is sitting here. Saw him at men's prayer yesterday. We part of the prayer team. I suppose if we compared Tom and ourselves to each other, we might be apples and apples, pretty close. But that's just me and Tom. Now I've got to compare myself to a holy, righteous God. And one of the things we read yesterday in men's prayer is be holy as I am holy. And I go, oh, when I'm compared to that degree, then my righteousness is as filthy rags. You see, the big difference between us and the Lord Jesus Christ is he never lied once. He never had a lustful thought. He was tempted in every way. And passed every test. And he was perfect. He had to be. Otherwise the sacrifice would be meaningless. And so you need a savior whether you realize it or not. And when Jesus left he says I'm going to send back the Holy Spirit. And when he does he will convict the world of sin. That's the first thing it says. It doesn't say he'll be your comforter till afterwards. See you have to be convicted of sin so that you can repent so that then you can be comforted. And that's the process. The problem is with man, I asked one one gal after the first service who's been praying for her husband, and you, you don't know who I'm talking about, and they don't, but I know she's been praying for her husband for a long time. I said, any progress this year? She said, no. And I said, well, we'll just keep praying for another another year. We can't figure it out except for John 3 that says men love darkness more than the light. Therefore, they don't repent of their deeds. The Bible does say there is pleasure in sin for a season. And um, when, when you come to Christ, you have to acknowledge that and turn from it. And then comes um, what the Lord promised. He actually comes and lives and dwells in you. All during this time, like in Zechariah here, the promise was for this coming kingdom. Another theme that it talks about quite a bit and we'll touch on this morning and what we're leading up to, as we see this leading up to, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling. That means it's not now, but it's in the process of coming that which is going to lead into a period of time that we call the Great Tribulation Period. It's also known as the time of Jacob's trouble, so we're talking not Gentile, Jewish. And um, it's called Daniel's 70th week, the indignation. It's got a lot of different names, but it all 
It's all the same thing. God owes Israel seven years. He promised them that he would work with them for 490 years in Daniel chapter 9. 483 of those years were fulfilled when Jesus was here the first time. He still owes him seven years. Now, it's not a coincidence that the book of Revelation from chapter 6 to 19 is a seven-year period of time where he deals with the nation of Israel. And that's a different study, so I have to leave it there. This morning is the last day of 2017. It's usually a time of, of reflection of the past year and what lies ahead. And sometimes I flash back, you know, and um, I flashed back 50 years. December 31st, 1967, it was 15 degrees below zero, and I was at the ice bowl freezing. <laughs> I was 16. We were in the end zone where Bart Starr went over right tackle in that end zone, except we left with five minutes left in the game. And we were in the parking lot when it exploded. And not till we got home and saw one of the most famous pictures where you see Kramer throwing up his arms. Uh, 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 I didn't touch anybody. That's why he did that, by the way. And uh, no, I actually had the privilege of my dad was a barber and some guy came in with four extra tickets. He said, I'm not going to sit in 15 below zero weather. You want them? Yeah. So... Uh, we got to, I, I'm reflecting on that because it's exactly 50 years ago today that uh, that would have happened. And maybe you have memories that you look back on that are fond and looking ahead. But uh, what I want to do this morning is have you, first of all, turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 21. And I'm going to look at it from two angles. One, an, a natural, worldly element Disaster catastrophes that are predicted in the Bible in the last days. Because the disciples came right out and asked the question. They had questions. Lord, what's it going to be like when you come again? And it's not that we always haven't had hurricanes and floods and fires and so on and so forth. We've always had those. But not to the, the degree that we're experiencing today. If you're in Luke chapter 21, let me draw your attention to verse 25. This is, um, can be comparable to Matthew 24, but I, I chose this because Matthew 24 does not mention verse 25, there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on earth distress of nations. And this is what Matthew leaves out. With perplexity, the seas and the waves roaring. And men's hearts failing them for fear with the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the, the clouds with power and great glory. Now, I want to stop there because this is a reference to the second coming, not the rapture. Because it says they will see him. When the rapture happens, we'll be caught up in a twinkling of an eye we go to meet him. He doesn't come to meet us. So we, the world won't see um, Jesus at the rapture. And then it goes on to say, when these things begin to happen, 
Look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. Question, when what things begin to happen? Well, when the sea and the waves are roaring. In other words, natural disasters on an unprecedented level, like birth pains. Jesus said it's like a woman who's pregnant, and as she goes through her pregnancy, the closer it gets to B-Day, the contractions are closer together. They're more intense until the birth. And that's what he likened it to. So if I'm understanding this correctly, as we get closer to the rapture of the church, then we should be seeing um, in our weather system and in our storms an increase in magnitude and intensity and in number. And I'm quoting an article right now. 2017 could tie record for a billion-dollar disaster in a year. I'm going to put something on screen right now of just a chart of the hurricanes um, that happened in 2017. A hurricane dumped record rainfalls on Texas and other left nearly all of Puerto Rico without electricity. Intense wildfires killed more than 40 people in California. All this in just the past two months. So far this year, 15 separate weather and climate disasters have caused at least $1 billion in damages in the United States, according to the National Oceanic uh, Administration. Initial estimates put the damage from the Northern California wildfires at well over a billion dollars. If so, 2017 would tie 2011 for the most billion-dollar disaster. This year's devastating hurricane season is largely to blame. Hurricane Harvey will likely end up topping all of this year's disaster with an estimated price tag of $190 billion. The official death toll, now at 48 in Puerto Rico from Hurricane Maria, could rise into the hundreds. And according to a report that came out this week, Hurricane Irma ravaged the Caribbean island of um, the Caribbean as a Category 5 monster, destroying most of the island's structure and leaving the infrastructure in ruins. It then took aim at the U.S. Virgin Islands and eventually the U.S. mainland. It was also a Category 5 storm for longer, catch this, than any other Atlantic hurricane on record except Ivan in 2004. Maria Savage swiped across Puerto Rico caused uh, catastrophic that will take months, if not years, for the island to recover from. In all, three Category 4 hurricanes, Harvey, Irma, and Maria, made landfall in the U.S. and its territory a record for a single year. Earlier in the year, tornadoes, severe storms, caused most of the death and destruction with seven separate outbreaks that caused at least $1 billion in each. In all, tornadoes killed 34 Americans from January to May. To May. Now, here are some uh, notable damages, and it goes on to talk about 
Um, in 2016, there was, no, in 2017, there was 1,391 tornadoes. That's 332 more than 2016. And uh, we find, just as the scriptures say here, the winds and seas with perplexity roaring. We move on to um, floods. Uh, The floods this year, from California floods, and from February 8th to the 22nd, five people were killed. $1.5 billion in damage. Heavy rains across northern and central California caused massive damage from floods, landslides, and erosions. 188,000 residences were evacuated. Our friends Warren and Joy Smith, they had to leave their home, which was uh, burnt by fire and being rebuilt. There was a dam that broke, um, and as a result, the damage in Missouri, floods uh, killed as many as 20. The big news is still taking place as far as I know. Put the next one up, dealing just with the fires in California. They have fires in California every year. Uh, for years, I would go out twice a year to help plan the Seniors Pastors Conference. And they're always talking about the Santa Ana winds. And they've always had uh, what they call the fire season. But this is the second largest uh, season in California history, even having fires uh, in downtown Ventura. Almost get taking out Disneyland. Poor Mickey, <laughs> you know. We have um, the acreage that was uh, in 2017... Um, although the U.S. is below average in terms of numbers of fire, it is far above average in how many acres were actually burned. And I'm not telling you guys anything you don't already know. You watch the news. You watch the bad ones up in Napa uh, and the ones down by Ventura. And I don't think they have them really under control yet. But they had more than 8,000 firefighters. It cost $65 billion. 42 people died. And um, uh, that's just in the state of, of uh, California. In Matthew 24, when asked about the signs, it talks about famines and earthquakes and pestilences. And uh, epidemics, I think in the drug world especially, the new opiates that are out there that are being smuggled in that so many people are, are dying from because of the potency of the the opium. But in 2017, there was 12,527 earthquakes, uh, ranging from a magnitude of 4.0 all the way up to our biggest one, 8.2. I want you to turn to Matthew 24, and as we continue to point out events that are escalating, one of them definitely has to be Matthew 24, Verse 12, where it says, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. You can't go home and watch the news tonight, unless there's a game on, without seeing some guy in a hoodie walking into a a quick trip or some store, and he's in and he's out. It's on the news almost nightly. 
Lawlessness is growing, and the spirit of Antichrist seems to be poured out all over the earth in greater ways than ever before. Tonight is New Year's Eve. Tonight at Times Square in New York City, they have 10,000 police officers on guard. What for? Because we we have a whole new mentality that we didn't have 10 years ago. You go to Times Square 10 years ago and uh, watched the ball drop. Dick Clark was there introducing things, was, or is that more than 10 years ago? <laughs> Not sure. But I know they weren't worried about terrorist attacks. Now they've made it more confined, and it's going to be zero. I wouldn't be there anyway, Not at that temperature. 10,000 police officers. Why? Because of the possibility of terrorists. And uh, we're well aware of it. It's a new reality. Daily reports of crime and theft and murders is on the increase. People always say, aren't you ever worried about going to Israel? And I say, no, I'm worried about going to South Chicago. (laughs) That's more dangerous, a lot more dangerous. Turn with me as we shift more from an eco-climate change being on the increase as we look now more at a spiritual, I don't know what to call it, downturn into a deep hole where we find a falling away from the, from the basics. Let's turn to Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter 3, where the very things that I'm talking about, not only are people not interested in, Matter of fact, the irony of a picture I saw this week in California where guys were out on the golf course and they were putting on this green. And in the background, the whole hill was on fire and they were putting. So the irony of the indifference of taking none of this really seriously, like it's it's just another day and things are going to go on as they've always gone on. And what the New Testament, when it gets to the questions that the disciple asks, Lord, what's it going to be like? Right before you come for your church, would you, would you tell us what it's going to be like? Second Peter 3, verses 1 through 4, is that there's going to be scoffers. Moreover, I write to you, Second Peter 3, chapter 3, Moreover, I write to you the second epistle, in both which I want to stir up your pure minds by way of rem- reminder. Okay, choir. Uh, He's basically saying, I'm going to tell you something now you already know. And we've heard this before. But the fact is, we need to be reminded of it. Otherwise, we're not going to be in that state like the ten wise virgins who have their lamps trimmed and they're ready. There will be people who will be caught off guard. Because the rapture of the church is going to happen at a time as life being normal. Um, one will be in bed. One will be taken. Uh, one, one will be in a field. One will be taken and the other one left behind. That's not a picture of the second coming. That's a picture of the rapture. The picture of the second coming, Jesus says, unless I do return, no flesh would be saved because the whole world will be at war. Major differences between the rapture of the church, who people mock. Um, you need to know that in mainline Protestantism and mainline 
Roman Catholicism, they do not take a literal view of the book of Revelation, nor do they adhere to or believe in the rapture of the church. So what we just read next is, In verse 2, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, Zechariah, and of the command of us, the apostles, and the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, well, where is the promise of his coming? You crazy Christians, talking about the rapture, disappearing, and then there's going to be this terrible period of seven years called the tribulation. They, their attitude is, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Why is this generation different? Because Israel is becoming a cup of trembling. There hasn't even been an Israel till 1948. That's one of the 17s, May 14th. This next year will be 70 years that Israel's a nation. And now the focus and the intention of the world, all of a sudden, I'm getting that right now, it's becoming a cup of trembling. And so we find that the attitude of the average persons is, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that that would happen? Let me say, first of all, unless you're born again and have the Spirit of God inside of you, this is total lunacy. You guys are out of your mind. Don't you think that's what they would have said to Noah? No, what are you doing? I'm building a boat. Yes, I said it Wisconsin style. What for? Well, it's going to rain. Well, uh, what's rain, Noah? And they just thought this old man was out of his head. 120 years, he told them, that judgment was coming. And after 120 years, it came, just like Noah said. How many believed him? Nobody, except his family. They had to. They had to go to church because dad was building the ark. So we read in the New Testament, only eight were saved. And the population of the earth could have been as much as the population of the earth is right now. We think God would never bring that sort of judgment. Yeah, he will. The Bible is crystal clear on this issue. But what do we have? Just like it says in Matthew 24, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be when the Son of Man comes again. No man knows the day or the hour. That's the rapture. I can tell you the day that Jesus came the first time. To the day. I can tell you the day he will come at the second coming. Daniel chapter 12. What we don't know is the day and the hour of the rapture. So what does he tell us to do? Just be ready. And so he warns us, for this they will willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which now exist are kept in store by the same word, reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. So the attitude overall uh, in in the Christian world doesn't talk prophetically about the times in which we live 
And Jesus said in the parable of the fig tree, it's all about Israel and primarily Jerusalem. When you see Jerusalem come back, he said all these things will be fulfilled in that generation. That's a pretty heavy thing to say. And so um, as we look at this, um, what one of the signs will be people who will think you're crazy. Well, yeah. Paul said, I'm a fool for Christ. And then there's the old song, everybody's somebody's fool. Whose who's fool are you? I'll be a fool full of the Lord. You know, I, I've read the book. I know what's going to happen. I like to be on the winning team. I watched Wisconsin last night. My wife made it to halftime. I watched the whole game. And I watched uh, the coach completely lose it at halftime for Miami. And that's called what you call getting in the flesh. <laughs> but in light of, of, of all these things, it's going to happen. Because God's word is inerrant and nothing, my friends, is going to stop these things from happening. The question is, are you ready and is it going to happen to you? That's the bottom line question. So in Matthew 24, it does talk about wars and rumors of wars. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 17. This is something that I could believe as we look ahead could happen this year. If you want to tag team with Mary on this one, take out that little chart that she started in Iran with and made her way all the way to Beirut. But you'll notice on the timeline, she goes to the city of Damascus. Well, there's a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 17, verse 1, that's never been fulfilled. Damascus's claim to fame is a... Oldest continually inhabited city on the planet. And yet, Isaiah prophesied, saying, Behold, Damascus will cease from being a city, and it will be a ruinous heap. It'll never be inhabited again. Gang, that's never happened before. The reason um, it's still, Assad is still in power is because he's got Putin on one side propping him up and he's got the Iranians on the other side. He's responsible for killing over 300,000 of his own people. And so it's also known as uh, the terrorist headquarters. And what's probably going to happen is we have thousands of missiles in Lebanon right now headquartered out of Damascus. When we were there in November, we were up on the Golan Heights, and on a clear day, you can see Damascus. And um, um, all it's going to take is for, as Assad is using chemicals on his own people, you have one of those go over the Golan Heights, bye-bye Damascus. You know why? Because the Jewish people have a saying, it's never again. They read and they heard Hitler write Mein Kampf, spelling out exactly what he was going to do. He told them ahead of time what they were going to do. And there's no better equipped army, technically, militarily. We just sent them over 
I think, 50 of our F-35s. Hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars just for one of them. And um, don't think for a second that they will tolerate that. They they have um, a statement. It's called the, the Samson Option. Remember who Samson was? He... He had the long hair, and he had the strength, and, and he was in the Philistine city, and um, they, they took out his eyes, but he found the, the temple pillars. And what he did is he took his enemies out with him, and they call it the Samson option. Go ahead. You lob one of those things over the Golan Heights, and we'll put the Samson option into effect. And if you're going to take us out, you're going down with us. And we think of that, and um, that's the state that Israel's in today. They're surrounded uh, by their enemies. What's your point? My point is this prophecy right here could be fulfilled as we look ahead, literally, in um, 2018. Now, I'm going to be coming to Ezekiel 38 in just a bit, but I want to go back to our main text, and I'll I'll read it to you again, where it tells us, Zechariah says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to the nations when they lay siege against Judah in Jerusalem. Now I want to just kick into common sense mode as we talk about Bible prophecy. What happened on December 6th in a move that delighted much of Israel's leadership. Barry mentioned 250 rabbis sent a thank you letter to Mr. Trump. But it, it, it ignited protest across the Muslim world. U.S. President Donald Trump announced on December 6th that the U.S. recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and planned to move its embassy from uh, Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Now, as a result of this, and I'm going to put the president of Turkey up on the screen right now, President Erdogan, and here's his comments on this. Erdogan on Trump's unacceptable recognition. Jerusalem is our red line. I'll just read a paragraph. Turkish President Erdogan on Wednesday said his country would not tolerate the recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital. Jerusalem is our red line. Any steps against Jerusalem, historic status and holiness are unacceptable, Erdogan said, adding that his country will work towards international recognition of the Palestinian state and seek the support of the European Jews. He goes on to say that he will wipe out the Jews. Now, just um, at this point, turn to Ezekiel chapter 38, and let me just ask a very simple question. Jesus was asked by his disciples, Lord, when are you going to come? What's it going to be like right before all the nations of the world come against Jerusalem, according to Zechariah? Simple question. Do we see boots, Russian boots on the ground in Syria? Do we see Iran building missile sites in Syria? 
You have the map that Mary laid out earlier. Do we have the president of Turkey saying, you've just crossed the line, and now we're going to kill every Jew? Here's my common sense question. And that simply is, if the Bible is accurate and the nations of the world are going to come against it, is there anything in the Middle East today that gives that indication that that might happen? Just using my common sense, it's absolutely yes. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. But more importantly, that's just my common sense assessment. This is what's important, because nothing can change it. So now, what's on the horizon to happen is next, Ezekiel 38. Ezekiel 38 is yet future. But all of a sudden, Jerusalem has become this cup of trembling. What happens when they actually make the move? Is the president of Turkey going to pull the trigger like he said he would? Let's read the first nine verses of Ezekiel 38. 36 and 37 are already fulfilled. It's about Israel being driven out of the land and then in the latter days being brought back into the land. Check it off. That's happened. Verse 1 of chapter Ezekiel 38. This has not happened yet. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog and against the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaw, and lead you out. All you fishermen, every time you hook a fish, do they want to jump in the boat? No. They get drug into the boat. They get reeled in. The implication here is they're getting drawn into something they really don't want to do, but the Lord's going to set the hook and bring them in anyway. Russia's motive for being there is different than Iran's. If you're in Iran, the issue is Sudi Shuite, the two sects. For Russia, remember when Stalin was in power, communist state, religion not allowed, and they had what they called the Russian gulags or concentration camps of their own. World War II in Auschwitz and concentration camps, six million Jews. That's nothing compared to what Stalin did. Between 50 and 70 million. Why? For having religious convictions and not accepting communism. Alexander Stolzhenitsyn, famous uh, Nobel Prize winner, got saved in, in the Russian Gulag. It's a great, wonderful story. Challenge you to read his testimony um, sometime. But my point being, do you think the Lord's going to allow? Uh, he's no respecter of person. He loves the, the Jewish people as much as he loves the Gentile people. And if Russia is responsible for killing between fifty and 70,000 men, don't you think their day is coming when the Lord says, vengeance is mine, I'll repay? Well, he, he will. So now what could possibly draw them in when they don't want to? Russia would be under financially today if they did not have the most natural gas in the world and oil. They're the pipeline to Europe. And they use it as a political tool. 
And every time they want to put pressure on Europe, they say, well, how would you like to have a winter without any natural gas? And they have no competition. Oh, that is until the last 10 years when Israel discovered one of the largest natural gas reserves off the coast of Haifa, already selling it, drove by the plant no more than two months ago. And they're negotiating with Europe right now. How do you think that makes Putin feel? He doesn't like competition. And now he's got competition. They're already selling it to Jordan. So their survival monetarily is completely dependent upon their ability to maintain this monopoly they have on natural gas and oil for Europe. And all they have, they don't, they're not, Europe isn't as threatened anymore because of this huge discovery that has happened in, in Israel. So what is the hook? They're already there, gang. Russia's on the ground. Boots are on the ground in Syria. What are they there for? Well, if you go down to verse 13, um, verse 12, they ask the question, have, have you come to take a plunder? Well, what does Israel have that they would want? And what's interesting is who's asking the question? Sheba and Dedan. That's Saudi Arabia. They're not involved with this war. Saudi Arabia are the ones that let us use their landing strips during the Gulf War. Iran hates Saudi Arabia, and Saudi Arabia hates Iran because one's Sunni and one's Shiite. They hate each other more than they hate the Jewish people. So they're not involved with this attack on Israel. And neither uh, is Egypt. So let's continue to read in verse They come down with this great company. Number five, we read Persia. Well, Persia just became Persia about 80, 90 years ago because um, now it's called Iran, but 80 years ago it was called Persia. Ethiopia, Libya, Gomer and all its troops, the house of Togarma in the far north. Okay, now we just talked about Turkey. Well, what's Turkey's attitude as of December 6th towards Israel. This happened just a couple weeks ago, gang. And now he's saying he's going to kill the Jews if this actually goes through. They're on the list in this war. And from the far north, you go straight north, you take a pencil and a ruler and draw a line from Moscow, go straight south, and you will run into Israel. Many people with you, prepare yourself and be ready, you and your companies that are gathered about you and and be a guard about them. When will this happen? After many days you will be visited. In the latter years you will come into the land of those who are back from the sword. That means after 70 AD, they haven't been back till a country, till 1948, which have long been desolate, And you were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. I read in the paper yesterday, it's just coming to mind right now, that they're putting, I think, a one point something five billion addition on to Ben-Gurion Airport because of the influx of Jews that are returning to the land. That was yesterday, if I remember right. And basically what we have as something on the horizon 
as we're having sort of a prophecy update this Sunday morning, there's a reality that Ezekiel 38 could happen in 2018. What's interesting to me about the story with Noah and the rain, that the Lord told Noah, when you read the script carefully, Noah knew that in one week it was going to rain. Why? Because the Lord told him. And we're told to watch for the signs of the times. When these signs begin to happen, when they begin to escalate and become more dramatic like a woman having a baby, then be ready and know that it's near. And so as we go through these things, let me tell you again that most of the Christian world today um, do not take a literal view of what we're talking about. And neither, when this resolution went, was talked about with the United Nothing, I mean the United Nations, no, I had it right the first time. Here's the response to the move by the United Nations that the United States would move their embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. 128 voted to condemn this resolution. Nine voted for it. 35 abstained from it. But that's just this one resolution. They're always voting against Israel. I'm going to leave it there and change gears completely as I close this up this morning. Because even with the natural worldly disasters that are escalating, um, even with this major birth pain of what Trump did on December 6th, I can't even begin to tell you the magnitude and the implications. You heard what the president of Turkey said. He's not kidding. And uh, we see that the stage is set on, um, let's say, um, a war level type thing that is predicted in Scripture. But I want to close this, this morning by talking about the spiritual state of the church right before the Lord comes back. In one place he says, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? Huh, what an interesting thing to say. You know that many people that used to be solid Bible-believing Christians, knew the word of God, no longer are using this as their primary uh, reason for getting together on a Sunday morning. I'll give you an example. Um, Bethel Church, uh, Mary mentioned it during her update. The pastor of the church's name is Chris of, of Volatin. And this is a direct quote from him. Whoever God is to you, he will be through you. Therefore, to discover your destiny, describe your deity. And this is about as new age as you can get. A new age saying is be still and know that I am God. You can take that one of two ways. We can either, as believers, be still and realize, Lord's in control. Know that I am God. There's none like me. But that's not the way that it's translated if you come out of the new age movement. Warren talks about it all the time. He'll be with us for our prophecy conference. They say, be still and know that I am God. After all, God is in everything, right? Wrong. God, it says in Psalm 139, 
that there's no place that he isn't as far as our universe is concerned. But as humans, we're unique in any of his creation, be it animal or human. Why are you unique? You have a spirit and you have a soul. And in order uh, that spirit and soul can be dead in you or it can be alive. When it was alive, it was killed by Adam and Eve. Eat of that apple and you will die. Well, they were still walking around. No, their spirit died. And so did their fellowship with their creator. That's why Jesus had to come. That's why Jesus is the only way. It was their sin that separated them from God. And so sin is the issue. It's not being a good teacher, doing good things, none of that. It is that all of us, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Good place for an amen. I don't like it more than than you do, but I am. And my flesh reminds me of it every single day. Even when you're trying to do your best, I'm like, what Paul says, I know it's right. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I shouldn't do, those are the things I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who can deliver me from this flesh that I live in? But then he says this, I thank God. Praise the Lord. I thank God through Jesus Christ that he gave me his righteousness and he took my sin. And then the next verse is the most important. Therefore, chapter 8, verse 1, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you going to sin before you eat supper tonight? Oh, yeah. Either in thought, word, or deed. And you go, Lord, my flesh is so stinking. stinking. <laughs> it's better. And then the devil's right on your shoulder. And he says, and you call yourself a Christian. And look what's in your head. Look what you're thinking. And then my Bible says, and that's why it's so important to know the scriptures. Bring every thought, everything that comes into into your head. Bring it into submission to what? This book. Now, if I didn't know Romans 8, 28, verse 1, um, I would be one messed up dude. I'll say it again. If I didn't know and apply Romans 8, 1, I would be unstable in thought, heart, and mind. But what Romans 8, 1 says is there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That means even though I know I'm guilty and a devil is whispering on my shoulder just like he did Jesus, he says, um, you can't condemn yourself because Jesus died for that sin. Do you know what that does to my mental stability? It puts it on a solid rock. And Jesus told this parable about that solid rock. He who hears my words and does them, I will liken to him as he builds his house on a rock. Storms are going to come. Floods are going to come. My friend John had a a storm this week. He should have died on Wednesday. He's sitting here this morning. And um, we're not exempt from going through difficult times, Christian or non-Christian. But when the devil comes with the accusation, I bring that thought under captivity, and it's either me or the devil or the Holy Spirit that's speaking to me, and i got to discern which is which. And if the devil is bringing the accusations, I say, hold on a second. 
I've been bought. I've been purchased. And uh, therefore, there's no condemnation. And devil, you can't condemn me. So you can go to hell now. Bye-bye-bye. And that's where he's going to end up someday. That also gives me stability. I read the end of the book. I know how it turns out. So as we wind this up this morning, let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Stand on that scripture. There is no condemnation. It'll set you free. And that's what the Lord meant when he said, you'll know the truth. And it will indeed do that. It will set the captive free. Hebrews chapter 10. As we look ahead to 2018, what do we do with all this stuff and all this heavy stuff that's coming down? Well, first of all, you need to know this isn't home. We're pilgrims and strangers just passing through. We were born on a certain day. We're going to die on a certain day. That's guaranteed unless we're raptured. But in the meantime, if you're in chapter 10, verse 19, as we look ahead, let's see if we can end it on a more positive note. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way which he consecrated for ourselves through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies with pure water let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering for he who promised is faithful God is faithful One thing God cannot do. God cannot lie. And if he says that he's promised um, to work all things out to the good, to come and take you before this terrible period of time that we call the tribulation, that's his promise. God is not um, uh, put wrath before us, but he is promise to deliver us from the wrath which is to come. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as a matter of some is, but exhort one another in so much more as you see the day approaching. It's this last verse that I'm interested in as I talk about uh, the church in the last days. The millennials are eventually that are being drawn into the seeker-sensitive and emergent churches. They're going to eventually figure it out. This is shallow. This is empty. And there's really nothing here. Yeah, I'm hanging out with a lot of my friends, but I'm still thirsty inside, and I'm missing something, and I'm not finding it here. Well, what Paul tells us in writing to the Hebrews, what's going to happen is there's groups of people who've given up on church altogether. And um, they're either meeting by themselves or they're meeting nothing at all. I had a divine appointment in in um, Arizona, and I won't get into it because I don't have time, except to say um, it was just as dramatic as Peter throwing the net over and it being full of fish. And it was a, a divine appointment where I ran into a man 
that we mutually knew people in a different state altogether. And um, he'd been away from the Lord for seven years, and we'll be talking. And as he sees that it was totally the hand of God, and he wants to talk. Matter of fact, we talked for an hour and a half on a chance meeting on a mountain. And the odds of it happening were off the chart. Only God could do it. And we both knew it. That's a whole other story. But what happened to him and, and many others, they are forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We're told not to. As the manner of some is, and exhort one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Simple closing question. With the up, updates from Mary and our Bible study this morning, do we see the day approaching? I mean, just be honest, it's an honest question. And if you don't, you can say no. But use common sense, gang. Yes, it takes faith to believe. But common sense also is called into play as we look at the world around us. I don't know. Do we see more natural disasters intensifying? Yeah. Do we see a powder keg, as the words Mary used, in the Middle East? Yeah. Do we see Jerusalem all all of a sudden, because of December 6th, become a cup of trembling? Yeah. Well, you can say no, but you're in denial. (laughs) And here's the thing. When When you do share with a person about Jesus, and you tell him his he's the only way, I always tell them, look, the Holy Spirit is a perfect gentleman, and he's not in the arm-twisting business at all. What he will do is tell you the truth. Now the ball's in your court. And he'll leave it at that. Um, When the rich man came up to Jesus and asked what he had to do to get into the kingdom of heaven, and the Lord told him, he turned around and walked away. Sad. The Lord didn't say, hey, hey, just wait a minute. I'm sure we can find some common ground here somewhere. No. He let that man choose, and that's the freedom that we have. Why? Because it's all about love. And love is freely given and freely taken. It's a gift. You freely accept it or you freely reject it. But believe me, the word of God lays all the cards on the table. And believe me when I say, whether you believe it or not, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, and they will say, Jesus is Lord. And so now we're living in this period of time, and as people are considering their New Year's resolutions, what a great way to start a new year. Thinking A lot of people are thinking that aren't saved right now. You know, I need to exercise more than they do for a month. <laughs> and they make all these resolutions, and they want a clean slate. Well, what if it was true? What if you could have a completely clean slate? And for those of you who are already born again, my Bible says his mercies are new every single morning. Well, what does that mean? It means I got a clean slate every single morning. And when I mess up or screw up during the day, he says, if you'll confess your sin, I'll forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and your conscience is clear again. One paragraph, actually it's a sentence from Dave Hunt. It's called, Whatever Happened to Heaven? And Dave says in his first sentence of his book, 
as the title so obviously declares, this book is about heaven. Unfortunately, too many persons, even dedicated Christians, find such a topic of only minor interest because they consider it to be largely irrelevant to the challenges of this present-day life. Why don't you just tell me how I can be a better person? In the following pages, we will attempt to show, on the contrary, that nothing is more important in shaping how life on earth is lived and what is accomplished both for time and eternity than a person's attitude toward the life to come. People prepare for retirement. They have their 401ks. That's temporal. Have you made and are you prepared for the only one that counts because that one's eternal? If you don't have a daily devotion, can I recommend this as something that to uh, start for your new year. It's uh, Pastor Chuck's commentary, and I read it this morning, and I said, I'm going to close with it, because it's the last day of the year, December 31st, and it's God's invitation. And if you had never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, um, I'll, I'll close it with Chuck putting it his way. He's quoting Revelation 22:17, one verse. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who is thirsty, come. Whoever desires, let him take the river of life freely. Then Chucks says, this marvelous book, God's very word, ends with an invitation. Let him that hears say, come. Once you've heard the message of God's love and received his forgiveness, once you've experienced the wonder and the joy of walking in fellowship with him, then you will also find yourself wanting to give the invitation to others. And let him who is thirsty come. John tells us that at the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood and cried, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. The thirst Jesus spoke about was not physical. He spoke of that universal thirst that lies deep within the spirit of man. It is the thirst that David spoke about when he said, As the deer pants for the watery brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. It's the thirst for God. Man's problem is he tries to satisfy the thirst for God with physical and emotional experiences or possessions. But temporary things cannot satisfy that thirst. God is freely offering to fill that void in your life. He wants you to have intimate fellowship with him so that his living waters will overflow. Only then will that thirst be quenched. God is inviting you to a rich, abundant life, a life with him. Will you accept the invitation? Will you come? So the Bible study this morning ends with a question. Ball's in your court. And if you've already made that decision and Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then Hebrews 10 comes into mind. When you lead a person to the Lord, don't we usually tell them, now your next step, find a good church. Get plugged in. Isn't that what you tell them? Find a good church. Get plugged in. Now I'm going to throw it back at him. Are you doing that? Are you, can you say that to that person? And are you doing it yourself? 
Have you committed um, going to church on Sunday morning as a higher priority than taking your kids to now they have soccer on Sunday morning? What are you teaching them? Oh, you're teaching them it's more important to have soccer than it is to actually be in, in the house of God. Yeah, but that's not relevant. It's not what the time's doing. Exactly. Jesus said, my way is narrow. Few be that find it. And that's the pressure that's being put on today. Dads, be dads. And um, when they cry about it and they go to mom and say, mom, you've got to talk to dad. Dad, talk to mom. <laughs> and make sure that you're seeking first his kingdom, that he really is number one. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning as we begin the last day of 2017. And we sort of jumped all over the place with prophecies, current events. And um, help us just be honest with the things that we're studying, whether these things are happening, whether they're true. And um, we're just grateful, Lord, that you've kept us all these years. And I hold up 2018 to you. And I hold up, Lord, that um, today, as your word says, if we hear your voice, that we would not harden our hearts and that we would be open to receiving you as our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.